Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for tuning back in to another episode. Today we want to do something a little bit different than normal. We're not going to get too deep into the theology of this idea, but we are going to discuss something that might be a little tough for some people that maybe haven't wrestled with these ideas before, but we wanted to ask this question, do you actually want to be free? And maybe do you even know what that fully means? So how many of us actually know what it means to actually be free? And try to think of it not just in a biblical or spiritual sense, but in a real world sense too, because if you look at the definition of freedom, it's the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants, and this is the kicker, without hindrance or restraint. It's the condition of not being affected or restricted by a given circumstance or condition. And in a biblical sense, in the Greek, when it talks about liberty, it's the same word used for freedom there. It's defined as a license, the liberty to do as one pleases. So those are the definitions of liberty and freedom. Having that in mind, we wanted to bring that up and ask ourselves even the question, do you know what it means to be free? And do you actually truly want that for yourself and not just for yourself, but for people around you too? So we might be opening a can of worms today. I think it's a good can of worms to open up, maybe bring it about with a quick little story. We were hiking and a friend of mine, we were and our families were up in Estes Park uh, many years ago. And we went out for a hike and we had our snowshoes. So we were looking forward to this super fun adventure. It was a bright day. And we went went to the top of a mountain ridge and then we were going to hike down the ridge line and, and get going and enjoy the day. Beautiful. All the scenario was perfect. And we realized it started getting dark or the sun was about ready to start getting dark. And it kind of hit us like, we kind of got to get out of here. And then all of a sudden it started snowing. And what's interesting is none of those events actually had anything to do with what we thought we needed to do or where we needed to go. But as those events started taking place, we realized we started walking faster and walking faster and walking faster. And if you're out in the cold, or it's getting ready to go freezing, and you're you're feeling like you're going to be lost, you really don't want to be all sweaty in your clothes as it starts to freeze because you don't have all the other mechanisms. So kind of catching the fact that I'm starting to get sweat on my face, I realize my emotions are taking over in this moment. So I grab my friend and say, hey, we got to stop. Where are we going? And we realize we started letting our emotions take control of us, and they were driving all of our decisions. And as he started walking faster, I started walking faster, then he started walking faster. And we realized fear and those emotions were actually fueling our activity, and we hadn't even said anything to each other. So when we stopped and took a pause, say, we got to pause, where are we at? It was at that moment we began realizing the picture and the map of where we were. We knew to the west of us and we knew the north, south, east and west because of the way the ridgeline was and the way the sun was setting and all of that, that we needed to go west to at least hook up with the road. Now, the frustrating part emotionally was that was a big hike up a hill versus a nice a quick run where our emotions could have total control and make us feel like we were doing something effective, which is really the lie about emotions. It gets us going in a way thinking that that's going to actually make us feel right. And so when we paused and we had this moment of this is where we needed to go and we knew we needed to go up the hill and we would run into the road eventually if we went that direction. And there was like this the peace and the 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 sense of rest inside that you knew you're making the right decision but naturally it was a much harder decision but there was something invigorating after being kind of in the in a temporary panic mode and we got that arrested before it went crazy and we realized what to do and our hearts came to rest we could do this harder challenge but it actually was harder physically it was harder mentally but it was actually easier inside. Like our emotions actually started lining up with the idea that this was the right way and it became invigorating. So we get to the top of this little crest and we saw the parking lot of a lodge that was down about a mile south of where we were originally staying. And we got up over and then we just followed, we just walked the road and walked back to our, our place and we were home for dinner. 
and it was a cool fireside chat. But let's just let step back for a moment. What if we were to let the circumstances that were driving our emotions keep going? What would have happened if we uh, would have just led into that? We would have not been free to make a decision. Our emotions would have eventually gotten caught up. We would have been hot and sweaty. It would have been dark. Nobody would have known where we were. Um, I'm not saying we would necessarily died, but the uncomfortableness of that decision would have been not a fun fireside chat. I wouldn't have wanted to know that we were uh, having a fireside chat later because we let our emotions take control of us. But there was something so freeing and fulfilling to be able to say, no, we're going to go this way, even though our emotions were saying go a different direction. And now we have this great memory. Now we make jokes about the bears were chasing us, and it, it's this fun adventure memory, and it bonded us. And so my point of that story is there's many points that I've actually pondered over the last week thinking about that story. But the biggest one was was the freedom to stop and be calm and make a new decision. And I think there's a real powerful truth in that. Many people get so caught up and live from their emotions that the moment something happens, they're so used to running with their emotions, they almost don't even know how to pull that back. And I know I'm talking about emotions right now, but how does that tie into freedom? Well, to be able to arrest those things that have another sense of confidence and to be able to connect when you're calm, you can hear God. You can hear what to do. But again, the action you're going to take may not look peaceful. It may look opposite, but peace is not about an ease that's surrounding you. Rest is not about everything great around you. Rest and ease is a state wherewith you can actually hear, make a decision, and be in charge of yourself in any situation. And there's something really powerful about that. And I, I think at the core, that is the beginning of freedom. You know, I think a lot of us are used to emotions being a guiding point. I mean, many of us kind of grew up with that mindset. Well, what are you feeling? Follow your heart and all these things that were kind of put into us by our culture that if you break it down, it gets to, well, follow what your emotions are. And it kind of removes in an aspect, it, re it removes this idea of taking a step back, thinking about things logically and reasonably, even if that means the path in front of you is going to be harder. Because how many times do we look for a more difficult path? No one looks for a more difficult path. They look for the path of least resistance. And for some reason, we think that's the ideal way to go. So for you guys, what was, what was the difference in that scenario where you decided, okay, this is going to be easier right now, but we need to do this. Well, let me just throw out that word, follow your heart. I absolutely believe in following your true heart, following the, the God breathe. And that's where we use the term being born again, clean heart through Jesus Christ gives you that cleansing. And then when we say follow it, then we always, we want to revert back to some, uh, a, a law based fallen nature where there's evil in your heart and, you know, it's always around you, but you can actually take captive. So when I say follow your heart, if you remove your emotions and all of these crazy things that you're acting on and could come to a place of rest and peace and stop for a moment, that is the voice of your heart. And you'll find that the true voice of your heart isn't looking for your own self-pleasure. It's actually looking for truth and answers. And so it takes you in a different direction. So I believe in following your heart holy. I think the problem is we've tied following your heart with the emotional strings that are dragging you all over the place. It's almost like you go into a car dealership and they 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 convince you of why you need to spend an extra 10 grand on something that you don't need. But they what do they what are they pulling on? They're not pulling on your heart. They're pulling on your emotional strings that that draw you into something. Someone truly following their heart can easily say, "Nope, not interested." It, it's not a stubbornness. It's actually a freedom because I can say no. I'm not being manipulated and dragged on. So just to clarify that point from my perspective, following your heart is actually follow is based in a sense of truth. And then once you do that, it's interesting. Your emotions 
will then begin following that example. They'll actually empower you a different direction. So emotions are good. But it just matters who's directing the emotions. Are your emotions driving you? Or are you driving a decision now your emotions are following? Because your emotions doesn't know what's true or not true. Um, I use this example in a letter. I was talking about if you ever lost your glasses um, and they're stuck on top of your head. It's almost like I'm wearing a baseball cap right now. And I walk around the house for 20 minutes looking for my baseball cap because I forget that it's actually on my head. And then you finally realize, and you're, you're getting frustrated. Where is that hat? Or where are those glasses? And it's on you already. So the truth was, it was never lost. But you have acted in a way and your emotions have started taking you because you for, forget or you don't realize that it's with you all along. But if you just take a pause, all of a sudden, it will start coming to you when you reach up to scratch your head that your hat's been on your head all along. So, But look at how your emotions can go, and it's not true. It's not based in truth. So emotions have a whole different... They go by what your brain says is truth, not necessarily what really is true. So if you can calm yourself and let your heart speak and connect with the one who designed you and, and your source, all of a sudden, you can start thinking from your heart and your brain will start lining up and your emotions will go along with that. That is a really important distinction. I'm glad you brought that up. I think a lot of times we will get our heart confused with our emotions. A lot of times we use the terms interchangeably too. But as you just explained, but there is a difference between the two. Even going back to that car dealership example, when you go in, your heart wants a certain thing. Your heart doesn't want to be straddled with an extra 10 grand down the road. But there can be influence from the salesperson at the time, you know, just picturing a stereotypical car salesman, not saying they're all bad, but there can be influence from a person that tries to play on emotion to make you come to a different decision than your heart truly wants. Maybe that's something we should be aware of and how to handle it when that does come at us. And I think you see examples every single day in our world of people being driven by emotion instead of their heart, instead of what they truly want, or instead of what's ultimately best for them. So why are people so driven by emotion, especially negative emotion, it seems? Well, that always hasn't been the case. So if you go back to people that came out of the Depression or um, out of World War II, just because that's the closest thing in history where a major life event had taken place, most of those people were the opposite. Emotions had nothing to do with it. It wasn't till later on, probably closer to the 60s, 70s, is when feelings started coming back out again. And I'm not here to measure, okay, so you're saying we shouldn't have feelings? Are you saying we should have feelings? <laughs> no, I'm just saying how our makeup is made. If we made decisions based on what we know is right or wrong that's deeply embedded into your heart, because even someone who doesn't believe in God has a conscience. There's a conscience that's telling you right and wrong. There, there's something in you that is that is like a compass. And so if we can get beyond on get beyond the, the bondage of our emotions, we can make decisions. Now, do you feel things? Sure. Do we grieve? Do we mourn loss? Do we celebrate? Is there joy? Is there all these things? Yes, absolutely. But they're, but they're driven by the uh, decisions that you're making, not based on driving the decisions. So the reason they had a different outlook is because life was hard. They, they, it, there wasn't a lot of bonus things. There wasn't a lot of benefit. During World War II, there was it, life was not easy. So they had to learn to come together to make decisions that sometimes you made decisions whether you felt like it or you didn't feel like it because it had to do with survival, it had to do with uh, your neighbor, it had to do with protecting things, it had to do with um, the basic elements of life. So therefore, it was great if you could have a happy moment, but they weren't determining what they were going to do in life what, of whether they're going to have a happy moment or not. Now, that can create a different set of problems. And again, the point isn't, so you're saying I shouldn't be happy. Well, actually, Christianity never promised happiness. It promised joy. It promised peace. Mm -hmm. It promised uh, um, strength. It promised hope. It promised those things. Now, in that journey, will you have happiness? Yes. 
You will. There will be a, a sense of happiness, but it's not measured based on the circumstances. And sometimes circumstances could be great and sometimes circumstances could be bad. But if you could be stable within the true inner joy, peace, hope, then all of a sudden you can make decisions around you that will affect those things. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. But if your emotions are driven uh, into those things, or you can go the other direction where true, true spirituality is poverty and going without and going with lack, that's just as ignorant the other direction. So again, yep. those are just emotions. So I am not saying, and I know we kind of opened a can of worms here, so thanks for doing that. What I'm trying to get down to a baseline is neither of one, if we are living in each one of those things, you're tr still not truly free. But if you could come to a place of stability within yourself, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are because the circumstances aren't dictating to you what you are and where you're going to go. It seems a lot of times that you're left with the choice between either, you know, in a Christian sense, either believing in well, God wants everyone to have 10 mansions and 10 yachts, or, well, God wants everyone to be as poor as the next person's poor. And there's both of those, like you just said, you're still not free in who and what you are. You're either bound by your wealth or you're bound by your poverty. You're not free. A free person can live in wealth or in poverty. As Paul mentioned, he learned to get by, and it's, it's not this thing of don't have dreams, don't have aspirations, just be content with whatever you have. I mean, there's a context to that, sure. But even then, if if it's not driven by a a freedom and a passion from who you are, then you're just locked into whatever's next to you or whatever environment you're in. Because as you mentioned a little bit before, and I wanted to kind of see if you could explain this a little bit more, we are promised peace. We're not promised that things would be easy. And a lot of times I think we mistake the two. I know I have for, you know, in a lot of situations, we think if I'm at peace, that means things can't be too difficult because if things are really difficult, I'm obviously not in a peaceful, quiet, by the babbling brook, by the still waters, restoring my soul. That's peace. But if something's very difficult, that's the opposite of peace. So how do we kind of differentiate between peace and ease? Well, really what you described was restoring. So the, the time of sitting by the babbling brook, the, the, the grass, like the shepherd in Psalms 23, that was restoration. So there's a time you need to pull back from things to restore your soul because you can get so caught up in conflict your whole life. You actually don't live free either. You're almost addicted to the conflict. And anything that goes outside when there isn't a conflict, you're almost antagonistic towards it because you've had to live hard. I think in this, as we're discussing, here's, here's the bottom line in all this. You have to remove what's going on around you in order to get to the core so you can deal with what's going on around you. And I think that is what's critical. You can be happy in horrible situations. You could be unhappy in great situations. So again, those are emotional responses. If you're secure inside and you're at peace inside, you can have happiness. And again, I, I think it's critical in people. There's something to move forward to that we, we, we are designed to grow. If you remember in the Garden of Eden before the fall, God tells Adam and Eve that there's these three rivers that run out and there's gold and jewels and there's, there's treasures at the end of those rivers. In other words, go pursue them. He wasn't saying go pursue him for, for wrong reasons, but there's something of a sense of adventure. There's a sense of growing. I mean, you don't plant a mango tree and it grows one branch and it's done. I mean, it grows. The whole thing is designed to grow. We're designed to grow. We're designed to enlarge. We're designed to uh, produce. I don't mean like in a productivity, like I'm supposed to produce X amount of wid widgets at the end of the day. I mean, that, that could be part of it. I'm just talking about you're designed to grow and to enlarge and to uh, expand and to uh, do that. That's, that's built into our DNA. So I'm not referring to not having a challenge and not having a sense of competition. I'm, we're dealing with what's going on in a person and why they don't accept freedom. 
And when they don't accept it, they begin trying to shape the environments to fit what they think they need in order to be free. And that's slavery all by itself. That brings up an interesting question in my head. So to go back to the definitions of freedom, do you have to exercise those aspects in order to be free? So in other words, if you're free to speak and think and act as one wants without hindrance or restraint, does the exercise of that freedom determine whether or not you are actually free? Because in our world today, we see every aspect of this and every counter aspect of this where people feel that they are being restricted from freedoms because of X, Y, or Z and people feeling that they need to do X, Y, or Z in order to show that they are free. So how does having freedom, if we truly have it, how does that, I guess, come to terms with a world where sometimes acting in freedom is going to have consequences or results that are difficult to deal with? or make other people feel like you're imposing on their perspective or what they think is right and wrong and should be okay for a free person to do. What is key in all of this is a free person has a sense of ownership. And when they have a sense of ownership, they no longer have to concern themselves with self-preservation. And when they can get beyond that and there's a sense of security and ownership, they will begin doing things to benefit other people around them and they can begin offering themselves. And when someone is free to actually offer themselves, that's where innovation comes in. That's where creativity comes in. That's where all of those things that actually make the world more convenient and more and, and better comes from that. That is at the critical point. And so going back to that, that journey through the woods is... As we are going down and I'm thinking about all this, I started becoming frustrated because things were getting out of my control. But when we paused, I realized things weren't out of control, but I was going down a journey that was taking me out of control. And, and it was affecting, we were getting frustrated with each other. But when we just paused, we could gather the control back. We could take ownership of our decision. So we were able to easily get out. So even when we talk about sin, a lot of times when people want to talk about all the different commands and all the different options, and we like to spend time defining what sin is and what sin is not. But if you really look at, even, even in the under the law, what was the thing that held the law together? Love God, love your neighbor. If you did those, if those were a part of your heart, you, there was no option for this. Like you weren't going to become full of malice. So if you really look at it, sin is an emotional response of something you don't have, so you want to take it from somebody else. Almost every everything hinges on that. I want, so I'm going to take. Versus I have, so I'm going to give. Once you have, the that cycle is broken. So when we look at that from that point, it really is a balance between maliciousness or benevolence. Those are the real two wars. How do you get someone to be benevolent or loving? They have to become secure and loved. How do you get someone to be malice? You withdraw that from them, so they're going to try to get it. And those are the two, two cycles. That's why in the last podcast, we were talking about conformity over unity. Conformity is really from a malicious intent. I don't have so I'm going to change this world to fit what I think it should be versus I have. So I'll offer myself to lift up those around me so we can be free. And there's, there, there's two different cycles to that. So in a sense, do you think people can't truly be free without that aspect of love? And like you mentioned before, without this aspect of having a new heart, because on one hand, you, you're not truly free if you're being driven by malice or anger or hatred, or being driven by sin. You're not free to do what you please. You are being driven. That's why the Bible says that we were slaves to sin. You weren't free in sin. You were a slave to something. You were in bondage to it, so it was driving you. But now you have been freed, so you can only truly, I guess, have freedom with that aspect of love, and in a sense, an aspect of sacrifice, because like you had mentioned, it's not about what can I get from a situation or what am I lacking so I need to take. It's about what can I give to someone else 
or give to give to this circumstance in order to help others. Absolutely. But if let's say, for instance, you were just struggling with life was so hard on you and you just bought into it and your emotions were taking over and you felt unloved, you felt discarded and you became were becoming bitter and you were becoming angry. You know, Jason, like you get most of the time. I'm just kidding for all the listeners. He's probably the most. That's me. Nailed it. Not that way. But let's just say you were like that. That That's how you were. And I came to you and said, you know, Jason, what you need to do is start loving people. You need to be free and start loving people. You would probably throw something at me. In fact, you'd become more bitter towards that because the concept of doing that is so foreign. Like that doesn't even, it doesn't compute. It doesn't answer your questions. You're actually, I'm asking you to give something that you haven't ever received. But if I came in and just loved you in that state and you started experiencing that, it would start breaking that cycle because there was something there that was causing a change into that. Now, again, when we when we look at this, I want you, but that doesn't always fix a person. There does have to come to an awakening that you have to recognize that none of the, th- the things happening to me may have been out of my control. But my decision in that control is mine and mine alone to make. If you could get to the point that your decision and your thoughts are yours and yours alone to make, you can have an option to navigate out of it. You may not choose to, but you can have the option to navigate out of it. Had I not looked at a map prior to this journey or have have a sense of geography and how things work, I, I would have probably been more in a panic mode because I wouldn't have had a frame of reference to grab onto in getting out of that ravine. But because I did, I just had to calm my emotions down. Then the answers were really right there all along. And I realized we were never really lost. In fact, we really weren't even off the pace. It's just we were panicking. But back to this point about this choice. This choice is really the most powerful thing that we have. Everybody has a right to choose. And so we almost don't want to give people the right to choose because we just assume they're going to make bad choices. So we almost Mm -hmm. do a disservice by not letting them think. We would rather just give them a GPS phone versus having them understand how ravines and watersheds and mountain ranges and sunsets and the things that would give you a parameter to make a choice, we don't want to give them the big picture. We would rather give them just a bit of information that they become end up becoming dependent. So if you just gave me my phone when we were down there, I could just look and go, oh, my GPS navigation says turn here and everything would be great. See, if everybody just had GPS, there would be no issue like this. Here's the point. I wouldn't have been free. I think the idea that you could stop and learn these things and grow in it is what makes us strong and free. And I think we're afraid to give people those options because they're going to make bad choices. But you're not setting people free. That would be no different than than me just, I'm just exchanging one slavery for another slavery. Even though if they have the ability, they might make dumb decisions. You still have to give them that ability or they can never grow. I mean, I would even say that people will make wrong decisions with that. And sometimes intentional and sometimes unintentional. I mean, we've all screwed things up. We've all made mistakes. And I think we get focused so often on, well, how can we minimize the mistakes? How can we, you know, the behavior modification and all this stuff, which there's a point to that. And no, we don't want to make bad choices. But I mean, spoiler alert, you're going to. You're going to mess up. You're going to make a wrong choice. But we use that to pull back the reins on people. But we don't expect that to be done to us. For some reasons when we're when we're looking ourselves in the mirror because we can understand yeah i made a mistake and no i don't want to do that and i learned from it and i'll move on but we're very afraid of giving other people that same kind of grace at times and maybe there is a point where you need to start with people where they are at in freedom and responsibility but that doesn't mean that you treat them as if they're not worthy or capable of being free and i think that kind of was one of the points in the newsletter that just went out this month. There was a picture you'd put in there of one of the guys. It looked like he was sweeping a corner of a room or something. And I was wondering if you would kind of explain that because, I mean, we were talking before and you said it ties into this idea of responsibility and freedom. 
we kicked off this uh, leadership program. We're launching a new Mission 300 group um, in a village about five hours southwest of Chiang Mai, and it's up near the Burma border. A lot of the people in that village deal with the um, the Burmese war, the, the civil war that's been, been going on between the Korean people and the, the Burmese people. So it's in the, in that region, and they've it, it, it's, there's been a lot of conflict over many years. So one of our staff, who's our program director, he's from that village, so he got stuck there during the whole coronavirus lockdown. So he wanted to launch a program a while back. He said, hey, why don't I go ahead and do this? So we went ahead and launched the program. So we need to create about five leaders so that they can run the program when we're when uh, Yo comes back up to the city and then he'll follow up once a month. So that's what's going on. So the first thing we do for our leadership program is we do a fitness side. We have a, a mental side. We have a... Um, a spiritual side we have the different components of what you deal what of what we deal with in life and so in order to develop leadership the first thing you have to do is you have to give them ownership if you expect someone to be responsible or to be accountable to something the idea first has to be they they own something if they have no ownership of their decision or whatever you've given them to do you cannot hold them accountable they can work for you, you can demand things from them, but you have to give them something if you want them to be accountable, to be responsible, and to, to own it. Well, that we start that process very simply is no matter where you are in life, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you have, you can own something. And so we start out, each week they get a harder challenge and it goes up and up, so we make it a competitive game. A little bit but they're learning this process so they have to do so many squats they have to do so much of a run they have to do so many push-ups they have some writing they have to do of just telling their thoughts and learning how to communicate their ideas um, they have some books they have to read um, not necessarily to read for information but for background knowledge of of stories of people that have had victory in their life even though it didn't look like they could and when you go into this village, if you're coming from a Western mindset and you go to the village, you're like, oh, wow, no wonder you guys have back problems. You sleep on a wood floor with a draft up from below. I mean, you, you, can, you can look at a scenario and go, oh, this is why you guys have problems. When you talk to them, they love living there. They don't see they have problems until someone tells them that they have a problem. And it's very interesting. So... That's just a little side note for those when we're trying to help other people. Don't look at what you think they're having a problem with. Why don't you ask the question? Because the thing we think they need really is more of our own comforts of what would make us feel good, not necessarily what yeah. would make them feel good. And in fact, most of them come and work in the city, but they love going back home to spend time at home because that's home. That's where things are normal to them. So anyway, he's, uh, he's sweeping on his house, and part of it is make your bed. And it has worked so brilliantly. So the first thing you could do when you start your day, clean your sleeping area. You may not own all of your sleeping area. You may not own your house, but generally you own your blanket in that, that little square that you're on. So clean it. Because at the end of the day, if everything goes wrong, when you get home, you can have this sense of victory that I'm coming home to something prepared and clean that I did. I can own that. They do certain exercises that can be done anywhere, no matter what. And so they're not doing it because I'm looking to get them more fit or more or stronger physically. It's more of you can own something. So you can't say, I can't do this because I can't do this because we, re we remove all the becauses and find things they could do right there. And when that starts getting built, they have more confidence. When they have more confidence, they start helping the people around them. When they start helping the people around them, all of a sudden things get better. Now all of a sudden a job opens up. Who do you want to come and work for you? The person that brings value to the thing that's that they're going to be doing. And so it starts this inner fortitude. And we've seen this happen so many times. It's such a powerful force. But they cannot be have responsibility and be responsible if you don't give them ownership. And if I take away their ability to think and to choose and to act, they will never be responsible. Now I'm stuck to forcing them into conformity. But their heart's never with me. 
Their heart's always somewhere else. But this is something they're choosing to do. They do not have to do it, and they want to. And I find the harder we make it, the more they want to. Why? Because something in them is building. It's not about hard stuff makes you better. It's what you do with the hard stuff that you find something in you that is stronger, more peaceful, more resilient, and all of a sudden you become like, wow, I can handle anything. It's just like the Navy SEALs. Many of them will say they're in hard situations or on a hard mission. They could, Even when it's as hard as it is, they could look back and go, but it wasn't like hell week. They do things to train in hardness so when they're in real life hard situations, they can process, they can think, guess what? They are free to decide even though the environment isn't freeing, but they're free. And so we use kind of the same principle. So how do we kind of take that concept and apply it to what's going on for everyone right now? So in some areas, I mean, this is what I feel most people are kind of feeling like. In some areas, I feel free. In other areas, I don't feel free. In some areas, I have the responsibility to handle this. In some areas, I don't have the responsibility to handle this. So keeping that in mind, do you think there is a point for some people, or I guess for everyone, but maybe it's a different point, where we can't allow people to be so free in certain areas because they're not ready for it. Or we can't allow people to have responsibility over certain things, even as it pertains to themselves, because they're just not ready for it. Maybe you could define what you mean not ready for it. Like, can you give an example of that? Well, one good example that I've seen floating around in certain circles is education for kids or for people in general through through high school. There are some people that believe that parents are not wise enough and responsible enough to decide how their kids should be educated, where they should be educated, that that needs to be left up to different organizations, to the government. And so we don't even have to get in super deep into the specifics of that example, but there's a case made that, you know, every parent can't be responsible enough for their kids' education. They don't know enough about education, so that needs to be the government's job and responsibility. So are we, in a sense, if that's if that's the conclusion, are there certain areas that people shouldn't be free and people shouldn't have responsibility over themselves because they're not adequate to handle it? Well, not to really hit a fiery topic, but isn't that what plantation owners thought of their slaves, that they were a bunch of children, that they didn't have the capacity to think without them? Isn't that the same argument that was used? Isn't that the thing that justified them in treating another human being as a lower lower class animal? I mean, they treated their horses better. They actually gave more freedom to their animals than they did to a human. I mean, isn't is that not the same spirit about it? Well, then why? Because I 100% I agree. But my question is, I think people intellectually or in their minds would agree with this, with this idea of freedom and responsibility being important, especially in the West, where our whole system of government is, you know, largely built on the individual as the most important structure and most important unit. So then why do people have such a habit of outsourcing their freedom and responsibility? Well, I think there's multiple facets to it. One is a a nature of thinking that we're insufficient, insecure, uh, rejected individuals, which is something we wrestle with. That's what sin actually does, is it is is it persuades you to believe a different thought. So you do a different action, which leads to a bad choice, which causes a ramification, and then you almost surrender that. But I think the reality is we really don't want freedom. We want comfort and someone else to be responsible for it. And we've talked about this many times on the podcast, so I won't go back into that. But let's just step it back just for a moment. Two people can have a child and some of them won't do smart things, but isn't that where the parenting was? So what is really at the core? What would be the most essential element in society since the beginning of time, parents and grandparents, and you raised your kids and they were in a community and they started growing, they start learning those things of how to function. 
if immediately you had kids and farmed them out somewhere, how are you truly teaching responsibility? You teach institutionalization. I mean, let's just say this, then prison is probably the best trainer of humanity, right? Because they're put in, they, they are assigned to what they're supposed to do. They do what they need to do. Many of them get education inside of prison. Many of them actually live better than they do in some situations. Um, there's a code. They have to learn the way of doing things. They have to abide by all of the, the customs and the thoughts, and they're institutionalized. So why doesn't the prison system create the best people? Why is there recidivism rate? I mean, you think about it. What? How does that work? Basically, I mean, it, it's kind of the same thing. And I'm being a little extreme here, so I know there's some people who are going to say, wait a second, it's not like that. No, my question is, you have to look at the motives of why certain things were put together uh, the way it is. Think about it. I can go vote when I'm 18 years old to determine the person that's going to run my country or run my city or run the city council or running the school board. I, I can go vote for that, 18 years old. In fact, there's some places who believe where schools are better than parents want kids to be able to vote even younger than that. Now, why would you trust an individual with the power to choose the person that's going to run their life, yet you won't even allow that person to choose how they're going to run their life? Something is wrong in that way of thinking. I mean, I, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't care... You, you, we have to start thinking logically and learning how to think so then we can have healthy discussions and debates of policy and process that we can disagree on. But there has to be some foundational elements that exist in order to make those decisions. And it's gone throughout all of history. We're digressing a little bit, but I think it's a, it's a good point no, that I you're making. That, that... Well, no, I think that that proves the, the original point of freedom and responsibility here, because and as we've said in multiple episodes, the, the principles we're establishing here, it's not to say you need to make this decision. So even in this education example, I'm not saying you have to homeschool your kids or send them to private school or send them to public school. What I'm saying is that I don't think we've been taught how to think about this and make a decision from freedom. We're just taught to accept it and do it this way because that's the way it needs to be done because these people that are above you say you need to do it that way. And so on one hand, if that's the reason you're making a decision, that's a very, very unstable starting point. But if you make the decision based on freedom and you look at your situation and your circumstance and say, you know what, for myself, for my kids, for my family, this is the best route for us. It's best to send them to this school or it's best to homeschool them. You're now making a decision as a free person taking responsibility for it. And there is a huge difference in that. But I think that needs to be the thing where we all look ourselves in the mirror and say, am I thinking about this myself? Am I making this decision as a free person myself, or am I conforming to what's around me and what I'm expected to do and not ask questions? Well, you've done a great job of opening up another big can of worms, so maybe we'll save more of that aspect. But it, I think it's critical to, re, to see a picture, and this, this was taking place in Genesis, and a lot of times we talk about Adam and Eve and what happened there, and there's so many good truths. And I think what's amazing about the Bible is there's like 800 million truths that come off of a story. There's so many, let's put it this way, there's so many different dimensions of a story. But I was kind of looking at this story just more of God interacting with Cain. So not whether it was a blood sacrifice or whether it was a, the, the types of sacrifice. Sometimes we get so lost in the theological technical side that we uh, we can't see the forest because the trees are in the way. We get so focused on this tree, we can't see the forest. So, But if we can just step back a little bit and just look at some simplicity of a relationship. So we have this story with Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. They go up and they offer up a sacrifice. Abel does a firstborn of the flock. Cain does from the labor from his field. And Abel's is, not Abel's is accepted. Cain's is not. And so... I love this picture of removing the theology behind it and just looking at God is like a father. He's still in the presence of Cain. He's still interacting with Cain and with Abel. And it's like he's get, given him some wisdom. 
But I want you to catch how he's giving ownership to Cain. He's not dictating how he should do it. He's not doing any of those things. He's giving ownership to Cain. It says he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Isn't that amazing? An act took place and all of a sudden his emotions now are taking over. His emotions are becoming the driver of himself. So think about it. If you're not feeling respected or dishonored, it kind of creates this stab in you. And if you're feeling vulnerable or you, you don't, your identity is weak, you'll re start responding to that personally towards another person versus just dealing with the fact that's at hand. So if I went to my son and he's raking the leaves and I came back and said, hey, I appreciate your attempt, but um, there's still leaves all over the yard. So we got to go back and redo it. Now he has a choice to make. Is he going to be resentful at me that I'm making him go do more work? Or is he going to go, yeah, I got a little sloppy. I should have done that a little bit differently. Let me get this back on track. And so I would work with him, but he has to make a choice. He can go and be bitter, sit in his room and pout and, and say, I'm just going to be grounded. Just do whatever you're going to do to me and just live in bitterness. Or he can grab the broom and go fix it. Now, even kids, they don't like doing that. But what am I doing? I'm teaching them freedom right? You might be saying, no, you're making him rake the leaves. No, he doesn't have to rake the leaves. But his option isn't going to be very good, so I would choose the leaves over the other option, but he can choose that. And it says the, in verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? In other words, God's almost, it's, it's like this question, God doesn't accept the, the sacrifice. So now he's back talking with Cain. It wasn't like Cain had to do the sacrifice to get God to talk to him. He's back talking with him. They still have a relationship. And God's like, hey, why are you sad? Why is your countenance fallen? Why are you angry? And it's getting Cain to have to respond to that. What really are you mad about? I'm still here talking with you. Just the sacrifice wasn't it. Right? So this is now on Cain. So God's actually given Cain the responsibility to deal with this. He wasn't looking for a way to stab Cain. He was looking for a way to train Cain and develop him. This is how you give them the freedom. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you not do not do well, sin lies at your door. So I want you to catch that. If you do well, it'll be accepted. If you don't do well, I'm out of here. I'm ditching you. I'm casting you off. No, that's not what God was saying. He said, if you don't do well, here's the deal, Cain, sin lies at your door. So what was the sin? Malice, bitterness, emotions taking over, feeling that victimization that, that why is his better and mine is not? I'm the firstborn. He's not the firstborn. I should be honored. I should be respected. I should have these things. I worked hard at what I did, and you're not appreciating my effort towards you. And obviously, God is dealing with another motivated Cain, but keep in mind, he's giving ownership to Cain. And he's not ditching Cain. He's trying to develop Cain. See, liberty in one person wants that to come out in another person. He's not being threatened. But he said, sin's going to come to your door now if you don't do well. And I thought this was very interesting. Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, Cain. Cain, I'm telling you, there's something else that wants you. And if you give your heart towards this, this, this countenance and your anger and your emotions, you're going to let that thing come in and it's going to try to enslave you. How do I know it's going to try to enslave you? Because the next part of the verse says, its desire is for you, Cain, but you should rule over it. In other words, you take charge over this. You rule over it. If you notice, God is there again trying to teach responsibility, trying to give them ownership of this. He's not saying, oh, Cain, if you don't do this, I'm going to blacklist you. Or don't worry, Cain, it's my responsibility to get rid of this thing. No, Cain, here's the deal. You are free to rule over this. So don't make the decision based on malice, out of bitterness, out of anger, out of discontentment. Just own it, fix it, and let's move on. And you're going to be ruling over this. So if we really catch that principle from a father-son, father-daughter, 
a good friend to another friend, you want them to be free to make that decision. You can't make it for them. So you come to them and you say, here's the deal. I'm for you, but this is hurting you. And this is at your door. But the biggest issue here is the emotions taking over from the circumstances. Don't be a victim. You're the ruler. Don't be the victim. You're the ruler. Don't be the victim. You're the ruler. You take charge of those emotions. And when you take charge of those emotions, you'll make a new decision. You'll go a different direction. And guess what? You'll feel confident. You'll feel empowered. You'll feel invigorated. You'll, all these new things will come. And I think this is a great picture. And I know there's so much to that story. But we miss that relational piece that's in it. Cain was free to choose. Now, the choice he made was end up killing Abel. And even in that, God said, I won't let someone else kill you. At some point, Cain was saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It was Abel. Abel did this to me. Had Abel not offered the better one, as if God was comparing Cain and Abel. He wasn't comparing two people's sacrifices. He was comparing Cain's sacrifice to Cain and Abel's sacrifice to Abel. And the moment we become responsible, we don't measure ourselves to someone else. We measure ourselves to ourselves, And that's when growth can start happening. And so I think it's very interesting how you kind of can see how Cain's interpreting this, but you're seeing how God's interpreting this. But guess what? All the freedom and liberty was given to Cain. And that's, yeah, it produced something that wasn't good, but God doesn't rob us. He wants us to grow in responsibility because he wants us free. He doesn't want us slaves. And so often we hear that story and we'll either put ourselves in the shoes of Abel or in the shoes of Cain. But I think there's a real big aspect we miss where when we are thinking about how to influence people, how to spread freedom and responsibility, we're actually in the shoes of God in this story. Now, I'm not saying that you're God, don't, don't take this a weird way, but how he is trying to walk with Cain through this. And like you said, give him responsibility. It's not our role to dictate to people or try to force them into doing the right thing. But we can inform them of what we perceive the right thing to be. This is the best action for you. If you do this, this bad thing is going to happen. Like This is the result of the bad action you're considering taking or that you are doing. And it's fine to point that out if you're walking alongside of them to help them grow in their freedom and their responsibility and not make it just a copy of yours. Because if that's the result, then you really haven't made a free person. You've made someone who can't make their own decisions and is bonded to whatever person is over them that's going to dictate to them what they should do, when they should do it, how they should do it. And that is literally the opposite of freedom. When you break this down, I talked about the personal ownership breeds responsibility. And the reason responsibility gets a bad rap is because people are responsible things for things, or we hold people responsible for things, but that we really didn't give them power over the thing. We right. gave them a very minimal thing. For God to come and say, hey, sin lies at your door, do this. You're responsible. But God didn't stop there. He says, Cain, you can rule over this. You rule over it. You have the power over it. You have control over it. In other words, God's saying, I don't even need to take control here. You have the power. So you cannot make someone responsible without them having the power to make the decision. And a lot of times we want to hold people responsible, but we don't want to actually give them the power to make the decision. We give them a task to do, and they come in, and then we want to hold them responsible for not doing the task right, but we didn't give them all the tools and the authority to actually make that decision because if I do that, I'm going to take a risk to myself. So really isn't the bigger picture that we can see in God's nature here? He so entrusted and loved Cain that he was willing to take the risk and give him the power to make the decision. Now he made a wrong one. But you can't set people free if you don't give them the power to do it. So he came to do that even today. People could choose whatever they want to choose. Right. In order for relationship and true humanity to work together in freedom, you have to give people the permission to make choices that you don't agree with or you know that's going to hurt them. 
but you got to show them that they have the power and the authority to make a different decision. You have to show them those things. God was showing Cain what's coming after him, and you can rule over this. So they listen to the first question, why has your countenance fallen? It's because he lost confidence in what he was. And he became angry at someone else because he didn't feel he measured to that thing. This is the heart of malice. And now what you're going to want to do is get everyone to conform to your way or you'll run. But it's not going to be your fault. It's going to be everybody else's fault. I'm not responsible. It's not on me. Even to the end, he really wasn't remorseful for killing Cain. He was just more concerned that someone else would try to kill him. There's no remorse. The moment sin or we give in to slavery, we justify our actions and we say that it's okay and we find that is the decept. Really, sin is more of the deception of justifying right and wrong versus the actual act that you did. It's that mental justification that you're right or wrong based on an external circumstance versus you making a decision, this is right, and I have the power to defeat what's wrong. That is a free person. That's why true love is sacrificial, because it's, to truly be able to love someone means you have to truly be free. Otherwise, you're going to extract from them for your benefit. Well, even to take it a step further, and the, the biggest decision any being can possibly make, if you're looking at salvation, that is the biggest decision, the greatest responsibility anyone could could engage in, and God leaves that as a free choice for people. That's a free choice for each person. And yet we'll look at all these decisions we interact with day to day as if they're too big to leave to freedom and responsibility for people, as if there's anything bigger than salvation itself. So I kind of wonder and ask myself, if God gives people the choice and the freedom to accept it or not accept it. He gave Cain the option, the freedom to choose option A, option B, or whatever. Why do we have such a hard time giving people the freedom to choose and make choices and to, to fail sometimes and to not fail sometimes and to be okay with that? So this idea that I don't trust someone can make a decision, well, how did you get to the, the place where you're making the decision? How did you get there? And then you start listening to people's stories. Well, when I was six years old, I had to go hustle papers to pay for my, my parents' home. And, and all of a sudden, they have this whole life where they live free and made their own choices their whole life or, or whatever. So how did they get there? But those people that truly got there the right way, they want you to have that same opportunity. Those that were held in bondage and they did the proper thing, they did all the right work, they did the right schooling, they got all the right certificates, they compromised their values, they did all that stuff to get to where they are. Well, man, you're not going to get a different choice. Now, those are kind of some extreme. I know there's a lot of things in the middle. I think at the end of the day, though, we live in a country that was built, well, I'm from a country that was built on the freedoms that was run by the people, a government for the people a government by the people, right? So the individual. But how do you control a population? How do you control it? And I think that's the bigger issue is, why do we want to control it? If God didn't want to try to control Cain, why would we try to control another human being if they had unique value, worth, and, and those things? Now, sometimes... We can go into, into a bunch of snares. I just want to get to the point. If we train people to be free and make their own choices, even if they disagree with us, we actually are building a united people. They, they can unite. Great things can be accomplished. New ideas can be brought forth. Empowerment, responsibility, all of that ownership can all take place. You don't need to rule over it. The people actually will just create policies just to add deal with disputes. Think about it. The first ruling body in the Old Testament was just judges to handle disputes between people. Not to rule over them, but to handle disputes. 
So it was very interesting that we've gotten to the point that we, we don't want that. We want someone to do things for us, to take responsibility for us. We've actually become so ingrained into no freedom. We've given it all up so someone else is responsible. And then we can be mad, we can be bitter, we can be angry, and we can shame everybody around us that isn't doing it the way we want them to do it. Versus once you're free, don't you want to fight for the person next to you? Once you're free and liberated, don't you want to take a stand and do what's right? There's just a mentality shift that takes place in the two characters. But this really, it's a big, it's a big war, and it's been there through Cain and Abel. Cain still wouldn't let go of bitterness towards Abel. And Abel was not the problem. So to kind of wrap this up today, I want to just go back to Brian's story for just a minute there and thinking about the the change in emotion that happened in that situation. And it wasn't as if all emotion left at that time, but it's that he became, in a sense, a ruler over the emotion so that they came in line with what the goal was, with what it was to be at peace, to make the right decision, to go forward in freedom, and the emotions came along with it. So it's not as if you have to rip out emotions from your life. That's not going to happen, but there is a place for them to be aligned with your heart and not pulling away from it. So as we wrestle with all these things about freedom, responsibility, what that means for all these unique situations we're all facing day after day. I hope you guys are actually taking time to wrestle with it as we are, and we appreciate you tuning in. If you have some questions about this or different perspectives you want to share with us, please do so. You can do it on Facebook. You can comment on the podcast. You can send us a message through the website at outboundlife.org, any of those things. We love hearing from you guys. So we appreciate you, and we'll be back next week.